Amen. And Lord, it's so true that your word is, is breath and life to us, Lord, your Holy Spirit, Lord, without it, the leading and guiding and directing of your spirit and, and the moving of your spirit upon our lives would be so lost without you. And Lord, I thank you that uh, you're such a great God. You love us so much. May we truly be men and women who are desperate for you at all times. May we never take for granted our walk with you, our relationship with you. May it always be the priority in our lives. Lord, I pray right now as we go to this time in your word that you truly would minister to every single heart that's here. We just thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Again, God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. And again, as I say every week, if you want to take that home as our gift, you can absolutely do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 20. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament on Wednesday night. Uh, For next Sunday, uh, read Romans chapter 3. It's always good to read ahead and let God minister to you before you come on Sunday. So I encourage you to do that. I just want to say again, Sunday was an awesome day, amen? Amen. Wasn't Sunday an awesome day? I mean, fruit of ministry. When you baptize, I think it was 15 or 16 people in the morning, and then we had... Either nine or ten people get saved at the church at, at the service at 10 o'clock. It's an awesome day. Amen? So praise the Lord. All right, we're going to take a look at numbers. We can continue our verse-by-verse study here. And, and I want to just catch us up real briefly again, as I do every week, just to give context to the message. As we know, numbers would be better titled in the wilderness. The children of Israel have been delivered out of bondage in Egypt. They spent uh, uh, 13 months, roughly, total at Mount Sinai. And, and moving toward Mount Sinai, they spent a month there being given the law. We saw Leviticus, how they were given all the, uh, the different statutes and laws and sacrifices. In Exodus, we saw how the tabernacle was to be built. And then we get to Numbers, and now they're headed toward the land of promise. They're encamped in the cross. God's glory is dwelling with them. And we see God has a clear and a perfect plan for their lives. Our God is a God of order. You know, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. You wouldn't know that going to some places where they supposedly are worshiping these days, and they're just, it's just mayhem, right? Ever been to a place like that before? That's not how our God works, amen? Our God is a God of order, everything done decently and in order. Now, he, miracles are still for today, gifts are still for today, God's still moving, Holy Spirit's alive and well, and in every one of our lives that are born again, but it's done decently and in order. And we see in numbers that God's a God of order. But we saw that they, as they were headed toward the land of promise that the people chose to rebel against God. Remember he told them it was an 11 day march and it turned into a, it was an 11 day trip and it turned into a 40 year death march. Why? Because they disobeyed God. If you remember when they got to Kadesh, they were supposed to go into Canaan. He had already promised them that the land belonged to them and they got there and instead they sent spies in. And the spies came back and said, oh, there's giants in the land. They said, oh, we'll be defeated. And so they didn't want to go in. And we know that because of the rebellion, God said to them, now you're going to perish in the wilderness. And we've seen that over and over and over again that this was not exactly the church that I'd want to be pastor of because all these people did was whine. I mean, they murmured and whined at, at the drop of a hat. We're going to see them do it again tonight, right? Nothing new. And what they would do is they would whine and they would murmur. Remember, they'd say, oh, we just go back to Egypt. We had leeks and onions back there. Remember, they complained about marching. They complained about manna. They complained about the tents. They complained about the tabernacle. Well, if you're marching through the wilderness and all you got to eat is manna and you're going to be marching every day and you're living in a tent and those are the things you complain about, guess what? You're complaining 24-7. And that's what was happening, and Moses was the man God had called, along with his brother Aaron, to serve as spiritual leadership to this, this, 
quote, church, but not really a church, but a group of the children of Israel as they're headed. Now remember that, that rebellion would come up. Remember his own brother and sister came against him. And then later we saw that some of the, the, the chief guys in the camp came against him, three men by the name of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. 250 men of renown came against Moses, if you recall. And remember what happened? God opened up the earth and swallowed them up. Then he brought fire down from the sky and smoked the 250 guys. And God was making it really clear who it was that he had called. We then saw how Aaron's rod budded, if you remember that. They put all the rods inside of the the tabernacle and and they brought them out. And which one was budding? Aaron's rod. Just God's proof again that Aaron was a tribe that he had called. Now, tonight what I want to talk to you about is we're going to pick up, pick up we, we saw last week the, and I want to encourage you if you weren't here to get the tape because the study of the red heifer is pretty awesome. Amen? Those of you here last week, phenomenal picture of Christ. What an incredible picture of Him. And especially those of us who just came back from Israel, they were showing us a picture of a red heifer. And right now, they're spending millions of dollars having these ranchers in Texas try to breed a red heifer so they'll have one ready when they finally are able to, to complete the temple one more time. They've got, you know, they've got the golden lampstand, they've got the breastplate, they've got all this stuff in order, but they need a red heifer, and without the red heifer, they can't do it. And so it's just so timely that it's a clear picture of Christ and I said, as I said last week, they're looking for a cow when they should be looking up at the Savior. Amen? They miss the Messiah and they're looking for a cow and they're trying to rebuild the tabernacle and, and they miss Jesus. Now this week, we're going to pick up where that left off in chapter 20. And this is what I entitled the message. And I want to encourage you with this because I believe that many of us go through this all the time. You may be doing it right this very moment. And if you aren't, you'll be dealing with it in the future. And that's missing out on God's highest. Do you know that God has a perfect, I believe God has a perfect will and a permissive will. And what I mean by that is God has an ultimate plan for every one of our lives. And too often we are too busy on our own plan that we miss out on what God wants to do with us. What was God's perfect will for the children of Israel? That they would enter into the promised land. And what happened? Instead they had a 40 year death march. They had an entire generation of people drop dead in the wilderness. Why? Because they rebelled against God. And we're going to see tonight that that's wasted time, 40 years of wasted time. And maybe you're a Christian and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, but you haven't really done a whole lot for the kingdom. I want to encourage you tonight to don't miss out on God's highest for your life. God has a plan for you. He wants to use you. He didn't save you to be a pew potato. Amen? He didn't save you to be the biggest, fattest, most healthy fed sheep. He saved you to use you for His glory. And so we're going to look at four groups tonight in the text. First of all, we're going to see the children of Israel. How they missed out on God's highest because they murmured and they doubted and they complained. And because of that, they didn't enter the land of promise. They were backslidden from the Lord. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and their lives were totally fruitless. They lived lives with no eternal significance or value. Think about this. What have you done today that's going to matter in eternity? Now, ouch, right? Sometimes that's a, oh, that hurt, right? Oh, that Holy Spirit head slap, right? That hurts. But here's the reality. I mean, that ought to be, when we wake up in the morning, Lord, make my life have an impact on eternity today. You know, whether it's just praying for somebody or coming alongside somebody or being equipped in my faith or looking for divine appointments, because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter in eternity. Nothing. And so the children of Israel, because of their rebellion, they had 40 years of wasted time that were totally fruitless because they were not seeking God's highest and God's will. We're also going to see Moses and Aaron. 
Men are being used mightily by God, but they're going to miss out on God's highest, and they're going to miss out on God's highest because they're going to fall into temptation, and these guys are going to get angry. And I'll be honest with you, when I read this, I understand why they got angry, but I also know it wasn't God's will for them to get angry. Okay? We're also going to look at the Edomites who were related to Abraham, related to Isaac, sons of relatives of Esau, right? Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, but they missed out on God's plan because they would not enter into fellowship with the children of Israel. And then lastly, we're going to see how Aaron and his death misses out on God's plan. You know, it's interesting that that Aaron's going to miss out and we're going to learn from his rebellion that God doesn't need us, we need him. Amen? Elijah once said, you know, Lord, I'm the only one that's left. I'm the only one left that serves you. Everybody else is serving Baal. I'm the only one that's left. You know what the Lord told him in 1 Kings chapter 19? I got 7,000 more just like you, Elijah. I don't need you, you need me. Amen? We need him. We need to be desperate for him. So let's pick up in Numbers chapter 20 in a message I titled, Missing Out on God's Highest. And let's begin by looking at the children of Israel. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. Now, this is the first month of the 40th year. So what has happened between chapter 14 when they started wandering in the wilderness actually chapter 12 and 13 and then that's where they would and 13 is where they sent the spies in and 14 is where they began to camp in the wilderness 40 years have gone by from chapter 14 to chapter 20 and this is the first month of the 40th year and guess where they are what does it say there they're in what place they're in Kadesh first month and it says the people stayed at Kadesh now I'm not I don't want you to turn because I'm I don't like have me race through the Bible. Back in chapter 14, when they first started camping out, it says in chapter 14 that they were encamped in Kadesh. And when they were there, they said, oh, let us die in the wilderness. So 40 years have gone by, and guess where they are? Right back where they started. 40 years later, uh, right, in circles, right? God said, go here. No, we don't want to go your way, God. Okay, 40 years. Uh, right. And remember that last week, what was, the, what was the sacrifice to the red heifer for? Why, when did they have to take the ashes in the water and put it upon themselves when they touched what? A dead body or came near a dead body. Remember that? And remember that, that from that time in chapter 14 until now, over 600,000 men over the age of 20 have dropped dead. So you had some women and children over the some women over the age of twenty. Guess what? You've had probably over a million people die. So this has been a, truly a forty-year death march. An entire generation has passed away, and they've marched around and around and around, and they're right back where they started. Have you ever been in rebellion against God, and then you look up a day, a week, a month, a year, five years later, and you go, "Man, I'm right back where I started." My life's been pretty fruitless for all these years. I haven't been listening to the Lord all these years that I've walked away from God. That's what's happening with the children of Israel. They weren't pursuing God. Their life was fruitless, and they ended up right back where they started. You know what? God doesn't leave us. We leave Him. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Right? God didn't move. You did. He didn't leave you. You left Him. And so the children of Israel end up right back where they were, the very place where they entered into rebellion, where they sent the spies into the land. They listened to the ten instead of listening to Joshua and Caleb. They disobeyed God's word. And for 40 years, they just marched around. Alan Redpath once said, it is possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. 
And it's true that you know, we can be born again and have very little impact. Now that shouldn't be the case because the Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. So if we're truly following the Lord and in love with Him, we should be reflecting Him to a lost and a dying world. No fruit, no eternal significance. If you feel that way tonight, I want to encourage you, pursue God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Your life will be both fruitful and filled with joy. You know what? I believe that as Christians, we ought to be the happiest people on this planet. Amen? I mean, some Christians look like they've been sucking on a lemon sometimes. Are you born again? Yeah, born again. Going to heaven, right? Oh, yeah, I guess so, at some point. Right? You ever met people like that? And the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. And it's not joy because of my circumstances. It's joy in, in the midst of my circumstances because I'm ha-ha heaven bound. As D.C. Talk would say, I know where I'm headed. I'm filled with the Spirit of the living God. And I can have joy when I just lost my job. I can have joy if they diagnose me with cancer because I know that God is faithful and in control. And we should have joy. And these guys for 40 years have marched through the wilderness. And what's their favorite song? Whoa, woe is me. Hate my life. Wish we're back in Egypt, right? That's these guys, three million of these guys. Poor Moses, right? I mean, Mo, man, what a kind of church was that? You know, people want to grow their churches. He wanted his to shrink. Give me a less, few less. Oh, another one died. That's good. Praise the Lord, right? Oh, another 50 dropped today. Oh, praise, oh, that guy was a whiner. I'm glad to see him go, right? And so what's been happening, they've been marching through the wilderness. They end right back up in the very same spot. And they, they need to heed the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 20. And Miriam died and was buried there. Who was Miriam? She was Moses' sister. And if you remember, she was in rebellion earlier. Remember when she rebelled against her brother? What happened to her? She got leprosy and she was set outside the camp. And again, Moses showed grace. He prayed for her. He didn't go, see, told you. Shouldn't be talking trash about your brother. He didn't do that, did he? And he didn't drag her through town with a rope. And I, I thought a t-shirt that said, you know, talk trash about Moses. This could be you, right? He could have done that. He didn't do that. He prayed for her. And he showed, you see Moses' grace, but now she dies. And it's interesting that it doesn't note that anybody mourns for her. Remember that when she died, she was set outside the camp. And for seven days, the entire camp had to stop and wait for her to be cleansed before she could be brought back in, before they could move on. And often that happens. When we stumble and we rebel against God, we can make our whole family stop and grow spiritually. We can cause all the people around us to be impacted. And that's what Miriam had done. But remember this, Miriam was used mightily when Moses was a little boy. Remember that she was the one that followed the basket, right? The little quote-unquote ark that Moses was put in. Remember she walked along and she saw the... She saw that the Pharaoh's daughter took the baby and she went in and, and actually worked it out where, where her own mother could raise Moses and be paid for it, right? Remember that? So God had used Miriam mightily. She led worship at the Red Sea, it says. She led worship for all the women at the Red Sea. But we also saw her get caught up in seeking after position. May we be careful of that. So she too died and did not enter into the land of promise. And she died and didn't enter in because of her own rebellion. When we rebel against God, we miss out on God's ultimate plan. Moses and Aaron, no doubt, are mourning for her. Verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. So every time a, a problem happens, now I want you to understand something here. This is a new generation of people. Forty years have gone by, and all the guys who were whining at Kadesh 40 years ago are dead. They're all dead. These are their sons and daughters now. 
who are maybe 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, 20, 10, up to 19 years old, who are now the new adults, who are now the new generation. And now it's their turn to respond to a trial. Now, whose pattern do you think they might end up following? Mom and dad's. You know, when, when we complain and we murmur, I promise you people are watching. I've said it many times, Christianity's more caught than taught often. It's one thing for me to tell my kids that I love my wife, but I better be showing them that I love my wife. I can say I love my wife, but if I'm abusive toward her, then that's what my kids see and that's what my kids believe, not what I say. And so... For 40 years, they marched in the wilderness. People were dropping like flies. And now this new generation, there's no water. Now, if you're in the desert, do you think this might be a significant problem? There's no water. No water for the people, no water for the animals. You're in big trouble. So, they could have done a couple things here. One of the things they could have done is what? What do you think the, the ideal option would have been? Pray. Fall on your face and pray. You know, prayer is not the last resort. It ought to be the first option. Amen? Well, I guess I can pray for you. That's all I can do. I've had people tell me that. Well, Pastor Dave, all I can do for you is pray for you, I guess. That's all you can do for me? All you can do is intercede on my behalf with the creator of the universe, the Alpha and Omega, Almighty God, the one who put the stars in the sky. That's all you can do? Prayer ought to be uh, the first thing we do, not the last resort. Oh, we've gone to every doctor. We've spent money on every specialist. Oh, I guess we ought to pray now. Let's pray first. Amen? Well, guess what? Being the children of murmurs, what kind of kids are they going to have? The next generation is going to be just, just like mom and dad, just like their parents. Again, children awful, often follow their parents. They'll either follow them into faithfulness, or they can also follow them into faithlessness. And so right back in the same spot where mom and dad murmured and were cast out and didn't want to enter into the land of promise and doubted God's promise, look what it says here in verse 3. And the people contended with Moses and Aaron, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now remember, their mom and dad said the exact same thing. Do you remember that? Back in chapter 14, they said, only, If we only had died. So guess what happened to them? They all died in the wilderness. Oh, that's what you want? There it is. Be careful what you ask for. Sometimes God's greatest judgment has given us what we ask for. Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Oh, okay, there it is. That's what, okay. You know what? We should never come to God telling Him what we want or even what we think we need. We need to come before God and say, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done. Lord, You know so much better than me. I think this is what's best for me, but You show me. You make it clear to me. Lord, I don't want it unless You want me to have it. Instead, we often come and start giving like, you know, give him the, the Chinese menu choice. You want, I want column A, column B, or column C. Whichever one, you know. And we're telling God what we think is best. Instead of us coming before Him on our face, crying out to Him. And so what we see here is they, the, the, their parents had done the same thing and they, they said, you know, it would be better if we died in the wilderness. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And we see here it sounds exactly like what their parents said because if you go to Numbers 14, it's almost word for word. If only we had died in the wilderness... And that's exactly what happened to their parents. Look what it says there. You have brought this assembly into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here. Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Now, how long have they been out of Egypt? Over 40 years. And, and some of these people that are murmuring are 41, 42, 43. How much do you think they remember about Egypt? 
Nothing. Where did they learn this murmuring about going back to Egypt? Mom and dad. And you know they learned it from mom and dad because they had a clue what was going on in Egypt. They said, get us away from Egypt. 430 years in bondage, they prayed, Lord, deliver us out of Egypt. And they were a year out of Egypt and they wanted to go back. You know, you can take the people out of Egypt, but you can't always take the Egypt out of the people. And the same is true of Christians. Often you can take us out of the world as far as being born again, but it's hard to get the world out of us. You know, we want to be saved, we want to walk with God, but then we want to just live like the world and do the things that the world does and make excuses for our sin. And, hey, I got the get-out-of-hell free card, I put it in my wallet, and, you know, hey, if I want to do some drugs, you know, leave me alone. I want to drink and party a little bit. Hey, it's no big deal. And, yeah, maybe I, you know, I sleep with my girlfriend, we're not married, but, hey, whatever. You know? And we got these excuses and these things that we make instead of saying, Lord, he said, be holy for I am holy. I know what's best for you. You pursue me. Don't make excuses for your sin. And sadly, what happens here is they want to go back to Egypt and they don't even know what Egypt's all about. They want to be beaten. They want to be enslaved. They want to make bricks without straw. They want to be you know, enslaved to these vicious taskmasters. Again, they've heard the voices of their parents. Instead of rejoicing about being delivered, they look back and again, they, they think that, oh, that's what I really need. You know, like many, quote, Christians today who should be rejoicing over their deliverance from the bondage of sin and death who look back at the destructive things of the world with fondness. You know what? There's nothing that this world has to offer that I miss or want. Keep it all. You can have it. I, I don't get it. I really don't. I str- As your pastor, one of the things I struggle with most is I'll sit across somebody I'm counseling with and they're like, yeah, man, I've been walking with the Lord, but, you know, I, I just can't quit, you know. i got this one pet sin. I'm just, I love it. It's just, a, it's a, you love it? How, dude, are you saved? Because here's the reality. If we're, not, I'm not saying we don't sin. We sin. But when you sin as a Christian, it breaks your heart. Amen? Aren't you grieved when you sin? Don't you, oh, right? I mean, you sin and seconds later, oh, forgive me. Amen? Sign of spiritual maturity is the distance between when we sin and when we repent. The closer we get to the Lord, it goes from being, you know, weeks to days to hours to minutes to seconds. Right? You sin and the Holy Spirit's convicting you. These guys want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to the old way of life and they don't even remember it, but they remember what mom and dad told them. May that be a lesson for us as parents. So these children of Israel, they missed out on God's highest. Why? Because they murmured. They doubted God's promise. They didn't enter the land of promise. They spent 40 years wandering aimlessly. Their lives were fruitless. They wasted time. The entire generation died in the wilderness. Their children followed their example. 40 years later, the same exact murmuring. No spiritual growth. You know, I want to say this too. Just because someone's been saved a long time doesn't mean they've grown much. You can be a Christian for 50 years and be a baby Christian. You really can. How do you grow? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? God's Word. Why? You know, we're desired the Word of God more than our necessary food. How do you make a mature Christian? I believe it's the Word, prayer, fellowship, and trials. Amen? You put all those things together and you get a mature believer. You know, you go through difficulties and you get to watch God's Word in action and you get to see the Word of God in 3D and it happens in your life and you get to serve Him and you worship Him and you follow. That's how you grow. And that's why it breaks my heart. 
there are places where people go to, quote, worship, and they don't read the Bible anymore. And people want to escape from their trials, and they don't want to, you know, and, and you're not going to grow that way. You're going to end up being somebody who goes to a religious country club, but you don't grow spiritually. And so they, the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, but these guys still didn't understand what it meant to walk with God. They missed out on God's highest. They lived, out, they lived out lives of no eternal significance or value. Now let's take a look at Moses and Aaron. Because we know what kind of guys these guys are, specifically Moses. Moses is the guy that blows me away. These guys have been murmuring for 40 years, and Moses, did, how many times did the Lord say, you know what, Mo, let's just start over me and you. Remember that? You know what, Mo, I'll just smoke them all. And we'll just start over. You'll be the new Adam. We'll just start with you. And what did Moses do? Oh, no, Lord. I know they're whiners and complainers, but Lord, they're your children. And for the sake of your people, now the Lord knew he wasn't going to smoke them, but he was testing Moses' heart for the people. And we saw that Moses loved the people, even though it was three million whiners. But we see this about him. Now look at what happens here in verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they got the group is whining again. Oh, that we go back to Egypt. And he's like... Man, you didn't even, you weren't even, you were six months old when we left Egypt, right? You don't even know what Egypt was like, right? Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. Oh, that we could have leeks and onions. Oh, you know, and they're murmuring. Where's the water? Oh, right. And they're murmuring. And, and what does Moses do? What does he do? What should we do? He prays. First place. What does Moses do? He says, man, Aaron, come here, man. Finds a like-minded brother. Puts his arm around him. Let's go seek the Lord's face. He probably wanted to go out and squash some of these folks, but in, you know, in his flesh. But he said, come on, man, let's go seek the Lord. That's a good thing to do. You're going through a difficult time. Go find a like-minded brother or sister in the Lord and go pray. Go find your, your spouse and go pray. Go find somebody who, who loves the Lord the way you do. And that's what Moses and Aaron do. And it says there, they went to the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Do you know what? When you fall on your face, you're going to meet God there every single time. Is God going to hide from you when you're praying? Never. Seek me in the morning, he says. He encourages us to seek him. And when we do, he'll always be there. We can communicate directly with the creative universe. Remember that the veil's been torn. and We can enter into his presence anywhere, anytime. How do you respond in the midst of trials? Moses and Aaron fell on their faces, as the people should have done. Do you respond with murmuring and complaining? Or do you you fall on your face before God and say, Lord, teach me? Right? Does God know you're in your trial? Of course he does. The Bible says in James, to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, when. So when the trials come, God knew it was coming, and He wants you to grow through it and learn from it. So you can murmur and complain and be a bad testimony to the world around you, or you can see God's face. The people murmured. Moses and Aaron sought God's face. Praise God for them. Verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water from, for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Now, God gives very clear and specific instructions, doesn't He? What does He say? I want you to go to the rock, and I want you to do what? Speak to the rock. Go to the rock, speak to it. Pretty clear, right? Very clear. Now, we're going to see Moses' response. We're going to go... That's not what he told you to do, right? But none of us have ever been guilty of that, right? You read the Bible and you go, well, that sounds real good for my neighbor. 
My wife really needs to read that verse right there. <laughs> you ever been in a message before when you've done that? Oh, I've got to get this tape for so-and-so. Right? Amen? Is that not true? Right? We're sitting there and we're like, oh yeah, this would be really good for that person. Instead of realizing, okay, well I'm sitting in the chair. Could it be that this is good for me? Amen? And so we see here that what happens is that God gives him clear and specific instructions. And God has given us clear and specific instructions. You know, 95% of my counseling, you know what I have, all I have to do? Well, let me show you what the Bible, okay. Now, here's what it says. Oh, I know it says that. Then why are you here? Did you just want me to reinforce what it says? Because I can certainly do that for you, right? And too often, people even want to pray about stuff that is contrary to the Bible. Well, I need to pray. No, you don't need to pray about that. Why not? Because the Bible already told you not to do it. Amen? Should you have five wives? Uh, no. Well, I'm going to pray about it. Well, you don't have to pray about it. Because it's contrary to the Bible. Amen? And too often we say, well, I'm just going to pray about whether or not I should be smoking crack. Well, no, you don't have to do that. Right? You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to seek God's face. He already, no, is the answer. Amen? We need to open up the Bible and understand what God... Well, he gives these clear instructions, and he says to him, you take the rod, and it was the same rod that he had parted the Red Sea, the same rod he had used in the plagues when they were in Egypt. And he says, I want you to take that rod with you. But then he says to him, speak to the rock. Now, in Exodus 17, don't turn there, but in Exodus 17, under similar circumstances, the Lord told them to take the rod, and what did he do to the rock? Who remembers? He struck the rock. How many times? Once. The rock is a picture of whom? It's Jesus. Who's the rock? Who's the chief cornerstone? Wise men build this house upon the rock. Who's the rock? It's Jesus. And in Exodus 17, it says, strike the rock once and water poured out of it. Water in the Bible is a picture of two different things. It's the word, but what is living water a picture of? Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened 50 days later? Pentecost, what happened? Holy Spirit came, right? The rock was smote and water came out. The rock being smote was a picture of the cross. Jesus being crucified, bearing our transgressions, and then the living water poured out onto all the people who would come and drink of it. Isn't that what the Bible says? All who are thirsty come to me and what? And drink, right? And out of you will flow torrents of rushing living water. Exodus 17, at the very beginning of the Bible, a picture of the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But how many times was Jesus crucified? Once. So the rock has already been smote back in Exodus 17. So what does He tell Him to do this time for the water to come out? Speak. Just speak. If you want to be, have the Holy Spirit upon you, you know what you have to do? Ask. Speak. Lord, pour out Your Holy Spirit upon me. He'll answer that prayer. If you mean it from your whole heart, you don't have to do 97 rituals. You don't have to get up here and loosen your jaw and try to say watermelon a bunch of times so you can speak in tongues or anything like that. You just ask, and God will pour out His Spirit upon you. Period. You don't have to tarry. You're not, he just says, ask, and He will anoint you with His Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, He's supposed to, very clear, speak to the rock. What does Moses do? Let's watch. Again, type of Christ. He's already been crucified. To Talisti, it's finished. Holy Spirit freely given to all who ask. Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, 
And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Do we see some problems? You know what he's doing here? He's beating the sheep. He really is. Does the Lord tell him, I want you to go out and chastise him for me? Lord, tell him to do that? You know what? As your pastor, my heart would be always speak the truth, but always speak it in love. If you hear me say something and you think it comes across self-righteous or, or anything like that, I'm serious. I'm, I'm totally serious. Please come tell me. You know, Pastor Dave, I know your heart, but when you said that, it came across this way. Because you guys, if you've, been here, if you've been here tonight, you know I'm direct, right? But I, I want to be direct in love. I don't want to be self-righteous up here like, I, you know, I want to say, hey, the Lord loves you guys. He suffered and died. You might have eternal life. But God's word is the authority and we speak it without compromise. Amen? But do it in love. Now, what do we see him do here? He calls the people together, right? And he's had it. Forty years you guys have been whining. I'm, I'm up to here, right? Now, I understand that emotion, right? I, I'm tracking with you, Mo. I'm surprised it took you this long, right? In a sense, from my flesh. But what does he do? He calls them all in and he says, you bunch of rebels. Now, the word there in the Septuagint, which is the, the, uh, the, the law of Moses, taken from Hebrew and translated into Greek. That's what the Septuagint is. The word there in the Septuagint is moros, which means moron. So what he said was, you bunch of morons! Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think that's kind of appropriate. You know, I mean, what are these guys doing? I mean, he's a man of God, and that word doesn't get thrown around a lot in the Bible. We use it a lot today, but back then there weren't a whole lot of people described as a man of God. Moses was, but he was a man of God, but he was a man. But I'll tell you what, if the land of promise is right there, and God told me to go in it, and they're bringing out grapes the size of bowling balls, and God said it's mine, and then we don't go because we're afraid, and we go on a 40-year death march, I think morons, pretty appropriate, right? But that, is that how we should have been talking to him? He's beating sheep. He comes out there with a rod. You bunch of morons! That's what he says. And then he says, we have to bring water out to you. Now wait a minute. Who's bringing the water? God's bringing it. Not Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron don't... If Moses and Aaron had access to water, would they have been at the tabernacle on their face? They had to go to God because they knew where the source was. But they come out and he's angry and he's embittered and he says, must we bring water to you out of this rock? Now, interesting. He's not to touch God's glory, and he's doing that. He's not to beat the sheep, and he's doing that. And again, he could use the 40 years. But remember, as Christians, we're not to operate in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. And God never gives us more than we can bear. Now, instead of Moses, he was the what kind of man? He was the, this kind, he was the meekest man on the earth. That's what it says in numbers there's no man meeker on the earth than moses what does meek mean what does it mean strength under control okay now is that how he's reacting right here you bunch of morons right do i have to bring water out to you guys now that's not meek you know what's interesting to me is moses is going to fall into sin in his area of greatest strength and that's often what happens to us. Because he was defined as the meekest man on earth, and the opposite of meek is angry. Meek is strength under control, submitted to God, right? But isn't it often that you see in Scripture 
Because you know what happens? You know where your area of weakness is, right? And what do you do about that? You pray all the time, right? Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, this is my area. Now, we can fall into the trap of saying, but this is my area. I got that covered. God, I got that one. I'm good on that. Don't ever get there. Amen? And that's what happens. Because let me give you some quick examples. Because it wasn't just Moses who did this. But remember, what about Peter? What was supposed to be his greatest strength? Courage? Who stepped out of the boat? Peter, right? Who was the guy who was ready to fight at all any moment? Peter. Who was the guy lopping off ears in the garden? Peter. Who was the guy that ran away from a little girl and cursed it? I didn't even know it. Who did that? Peter. Why? Because that was his area of greatest strength. And instead of falling on his face and trusting in God, he trusted in his own ability. The same could be said of Job. Job was a man of great patience, but when you get to Job 40, God rebuked him for his lack of patience. David was a lover of God, a man after God's own heart, and what did he fall into? Lust with a woman. Right? You you, you look at the example of Noah. The whole world was a drunken, out-of-control party when he was building the ark. And for 120 years, he abstained. What happened right after the ark came and settled? Where, What did he do when it got what? He got drunk. It didn't blow your mind. 120 years, everybody's partying and he's making a boat when it's never rained before. Go Noah, right? You're making a what? A boat? What's a boat? Uh, it's a big thing that you float in water. Where's the water? It's going to fall out of the sky. Oh yeah, right. It's never rained before. It'd be like you building a, you know, a fireproof shed or something that's the size of 10 football field. Fire's going to be falling from the sky to all your neighbors. They'd be like, you're outside of your mind, dude. I'm calling the paddy wagon. And Noah's in there building this thing, and everybody's getting drunk around him, and he doesn't fall for it. But as soon as the ship comes to land, what does he do? He goes out and gets, why? Because we fall into traps where we think we're strong. And that's what's happening with Moses. He was this meek man who now is getting angry. Forty years of it coming. And finally, we see him falling into the flesh. And he gets provoked by the people. And he doesn't speak to the rock as God commanded. But look what he does. Verse 11. Then Moses lifted up his hand and what? He struck the rock twice with his rod. And the water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Now this is interesting. Moses smotes the rock. Who do you think the people were looking at when he's doing that? They're looking at Moses. Who's he drawing attention to? Do I have to bring you guys water, you bunch of morons? All right, here it comes. Can you imagine? Who is everybody in the whole place looking at? They're looking at Moses. You know what? When we're ministering to people, they shouldn't be looking at us. They should be looking at him. Amen? Their eyes should be set on things above, not on us. And what happens here, Moses is is getting in his flesh, and he's striking the rock. And what he's doing, in a sense is he's putting Jesus back up on the cross in a sense, right? He's smoting him again. He's already paid the price. We don't hit the rock anymore. All we have to do is speak to the rock. It was only to be struck one time. But look at God's grace. Look what happens when he smote the rock. What came out of the rock? Water. Because God is gracious in the midst of of man's fleshly rebellion. God is gracious anyway. God still ministers to the three million whiners, right? Pours out water to all of them, even though the, he clearly gave them instructions in his word. What did he tell them to do? In his word, real clearly, go and do what? Speak to the rock. You know, sometimes we, we 
mistake God's grace for God's permission for us to sin. Right? God tells us something clearly in His Word. We go do something exactly 180 degrees contrary to it. And then God still, by His grace, blesses it. And we think, oh, well, God must have given me permission to be outside of His will. Was Moses outside of God's will? Absolutely. And you know what? Sin always has consequences. Sometimes it's not immediate. The water still came out, but the consequences are coming. Take a look. Look at verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me or to make me holy. So when he smote the rock, you know what else he did? He touched God's glory. And it didn't elevate the Lord's name, but he elevated himself. And he said, you touched my holiness. And because you did not hallow me, In the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. Ooh, ouch. Now, if you're Moses, do you think this sounds pretty harsh? What's the answer? Oh, man. Do Now, he could have got... Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right, Lord, let me back up for a second here. I was out here tending some sheep 40-something years ago, minding my own business. You showed up in a... In a, in a, you know, in the, in the fiery bush, right? Right? I'm looking at you. I'm look, you, you tell me to go. So I go. And then you, I, I go in there. I perform these miracles. And we get the people out of there. The Red Sea parts. And then you give me these folks for 40 years. I march around with them whining and complaining. Now I make one mistake and I don't get to go. Right? You could say, oh, that just doesn't seem fair. Until you remember what it is that he's done. What he's done is he has literally beaten the the representation of our Savior. In anger, he's beaten the rock instead of speaking to the rock. He's touched the glory. He's taken the eyes off of the Lord and put them on himself. He's beating the sheep. Moses, you're out of bounds, bro. You're out of bounds. You've missed it. You've missed God completely. Now, it's interesting. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but a lot of people say, oh, see, there's a contradiction in Scripture because didn't God promise Moses in the beginning that He would take him into the land of promise? Do you recall that from Scripture? He did tell him that, didn't He? And the people say, but He died and He never went in, so that's a contradiction in Scripture. Well, if you go to the New Testament in Luke, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, where's the Mount of Transfiguration? We were just there two weeks ago, so I know exactly where it is. Where's the Mount of Transfiguration located? It's in the land of promise. When Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was with him? Moses. So, guess what? God fulfilled his word, because Moses did make it into the land of promise. He just had to be in heaven for a couple thousand years and come back later, right? But here's the reality. His rebellion postponed his trip, right? But what we see here is because Moses responded in anger... Because he touched the glory, because he smote the rock, he missed out on God's highest for him. He missed out on God's blessing. You know, if we get angry with God, we're going to miss out on his blessing. If we start smoting the rock and getting bitter and thinking we know better than God, we're going to miss out on God's calling for our life. We're going to miss out on God's highest. And again, because it was an area of his greatest strength, it became his greatest weakness because he wasn't desperate for God. He wasn't covering it in daily prayer. And he falls hard. And it says there in verse 12 that Moses and Aaron didn't hollow him, treat him as holy. They also did something else. They misrepresented God's grace. Did he want there to be anger and bitterness as he poured out water on these folks? No. God's a gracious God. And you know, I have to confess to you, sometimes we look at it and we can't understand why he's so gracious to the children of Israel. You know, I'm really glad that he is. 
Because you know what? That means he's going to be gracious with me. Amen? When it's somebody else, we want justice. When it's us, we want mercy. Right? Justice! Oh, me? Oh, mercy! Oh, no. Right? Isn't that amazing? I've, I've, been, I've sat across the table from some guy, you know, and he's saying, yeah, man, I, that guy is the second drunk guy. I'd put him in jail for 25 years. Then his son does the same thing. I'm thinking probation. Right? We want mercy. Justice for everybody else, mercy for us. When I look and I see God's grace for the three million whiners complaining and wanting to go back to Egypt, and He just keeps loving them and being merciful toward them, I think, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because that tells me He's merciful and gracious toward me. Has God been gracious to you? Has He been merciful to you? Do you want what you deserve? I don't. No thanks. Mercy. I don't want what I deserve. And they also, again, destroyed the prophetic picture because what, they did by, what he did by smoting it is he smote the rock. Now, let me ask you a question. When, when he was going after the people and calling them morons and attacking God's people, who else was he attacking? The Lord. You attack God's people, you're attacking God. Do you know that? Remember when Paul was going after the Christians and the Lord stopped him on the road? What did he tell him on the road to Damascus? What did he say to him? Why are you persecuting who? Me. Because when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ. Now let me tell you something. If you go up and start smacking my wife around, you're going to be dealing with Pastor Dave. Okay? Now you might be bigger than me, you might whip me, but I'm coming after you, alright? You don't mess with my wife, right? You start messing with my kids, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. Who are we? We are the bride of Christ. And when people attack Christians, they're attacking our Savior's bride. And he's not having it, right? When they were beating the sheep, and he, when Moses is going after his sheep and calling them morons and chasing them, he said, hey, that's my, they belong to me. And we're his children, right? Our heavenly father, Abba, daddy, right? And when somebody attacks us, they're attacking him. You persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ. And Moses was attacking his bride and attacking his, his kids and he smote and struck the representation of Jesus Christ and the result would be that he would not enter into the land of promise. May we learn not to beat the sheep. May we learn to speak the truth in love. And again, the, the Bible says in James that the wrath of man never re- reveals the righteousness of God. Have you ever heard anybody say it's righteous anger? If it's righteous anger, it's not going to be the kind of anger you think of, right? You're not going to be flying off the handle and be out of control. If it's righteous, it's going to be in control, amen? And it's going to be filled with love. You'll speak the truth, but you'll speak it in love. And that's righteous anger is not flying off the handle. It's not the way it is. And so we see here that God's highest in God's heart, verse 13, there was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and He was hallowed among them. Meribah means contention. He was hallowed among them. His grace toward them in the midst of their rebellion caused them to esteem Him as holy. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. Were people repenting because Moses was out there calling them morons? Was there a big revival at that program? And too often we think as Christians we should go out and start telling people they're idiots and morons instead of loving them with the love of God. Put your arm around them. You know, Jesus loves you, man. I don't care what the person's doing. Person's out of control. You can get on them and start telling them, you're going to burn, man. You're, you know, oh man, God's judgment is going to be heavy on you. Uh, you know, not real effective. You know, by God's grace, I've been able to lead a few folks to the Lord in my lifetime. I've never led one person to the Lord that way. 
But by God's grace, I've been blessed to watch him bring hundreds, if not even thousands, into the kingdom by loving on folks. Love them. Put your arm around them. He loves you. But I've done so many... He loves you anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Moses and Aaron are going to miss out on God's highest. They blew their testimony. They were unable to enter into the land of promise. They responded to a trial in anger. They beat the sheep. They touched the glory. They muddled prophetic truth and they misrepresented the grace of God. Now look at the Edomites. Now, verse 14, Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, how the fathers went down to Egypt. We dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. So who are the Edomites? I said it before, they're descendants of whom? Esau. Esau's twin brother, what was his name? Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to what? Israel. So Esau and Israel were brothers. And he says, my fellow brother. That's what he says there. And he's calling out to his brother. And he's saying, hey, you know, I'm coming before you as a brother. And our, we've, our fathers, we've been persecuted. And we spent all this time in Egypt. And he comes before the Edomites in a very gracious way. Moses does. And look how they respond to him. Look what he says here, verse 16. And when, he cri- when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. So he sends a message in and says, hey, we were in bondage. And the angel of the Lord showed up and delivered us out of bondage. And now we're sitting here on the outside of your border. And I'm just sending a message to you, my brother. Now this is an opportunity for the, for the Edomites to respond in a gracious way and to have fellowship with Israel. If they wanted to, could they have done that? Absolutely. Now, I think it's important that he ties in the fact that God's hand has been with them. Because do, don't the Edomites believe in the same... Now, they're not fallen, but do they believe in the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yes, they do. And he says, God has been with us. He's delivered us out of bondage. No doubt they've heard that. And he comes to them in a gracious way. He doesn't attack the Edomites. He puts his hand out to them and says, let's enter into fellowship. You're, we're brothers. You know, God, we, we serve the same God, or we can serve the same God if you would respond to Him. And the miraculous deliverance that God had brought them through, and the Edomites, again, you would think would want to cooperate with Jehovah. Verse 17, Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left till we have passed through your territory. So all he's saying is, hey, we're brothers. Can we just walk through your property? We promise we won't touch anything. We're just going to go through. We won't put our hands on anything. We just want your permission to go through your land. That's all we're asking for. And you know, hey, if we can be in fellowship together, that's great. We're brothers, right? Verse 18. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come against you with the sword. Now, the Edomites were a wicked and a perverse people. They had a hatred for Israel and God's children. They sought vengeance, not fellowship. Remember again, though, you mess with God's children. Who you are messing with? You're messing with God. The Edomites had no fear of God, had no desire for fellowship or even to accommodate the simplest of requests. Instead of reaching out to Israel, they threatened them. You know, I see here a picture of, a picture of those who disdain fellowship with other believers. You know, there are those who call themselves Christians but don't have a single Christian friend. 
They call themselves Christians, but they don't really think that going to church is all that important. What does the Bible say? Forsake not the gathering yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here on Wednesday, okay? But here's the reality. We should be gathering together more and more, not less and less. Amen? But haven't you met Christians who say, oh, I don't need to go to church? Right? Some of you even have a disdain for the church. Oh, man, I went to church. I've got, you know, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not into church. That doesn't work. If you're into Jesus, you're into church. Amen? You're into fellowship. You're into being around Christians. You can't wait to get to be with your family, man. Because hey, you know what? He calls them here brothers. And what are we? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I was talking just the other day. At the, we had pizza after the softball game. I was talking to some of the guys about how the world says blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? Some of you that I've known a month, two months, six months, I'm closer to you than some of my own blood relatives because you and I have Jesus in common and some of my family members, you know, uh, aren't saved. So who do I have more in common with? You. When you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? And so we see here that he reaches out to them and they could respond, but they disdain fellowship. They don't want it. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hang around a bunch of kooky Christians, man. Another one they'd say is, I don't want to be around all those hypocrites. You ever heard that one? Right? Oh, I'm not going to church. A bunch of hypocrites there. And if you show up, there'll be one more. Right? I mean, here's the reality. I'd rather spend Sunday with a few hypocrites than eternity in hell with all of them. Amen? I mean, here's the reality. I mean, we are sinners saved by grace. And sometimes, if you think that you're going to go find the perfect church, when you show up, you'll ruin it because you'll be there. Right? We're all sinners. And too often, we, get, we, need, we need fellowship. We need someone to hold up our hands. We need someone to come alongside us when we're blowing it and say, bro, man, can I take you to lunch? Man, I see this in your life and I'm concerned, man. I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just, I love you, man. I want to I encourage you. How can I help you, right? We need that. Christianity's not for the Lone Ranger. And the Edomites say, oh, man, they disdain their fellowship. They don't want anything to do with them. Instead, they're, they're prideful. They're arrogant. You know what? That's the other thing. People that don't want a fellowship are always prideful. Always. I don't need fellowship. I got my own. Me and God got my own relationship. Met those people? Me, I got a special understanding, me and God. What? what you don't know him? And he's not taking you with him? What's the understanding? I don't understand. Because if you read the Bible again, what does it say? Fellowship. It's a cornerstone. Amen. Prayer of the word, fellowship. Those are keys in your walk with God. And the Edomites, instead, they're arrogant. And look what it says there, verse 19. So the children of Israel said to him, we're going to come in and smoke all you guys. Is that how we respond? No, he didn't say that. He said, we will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay you for it. Let me pass through on foot. Nothing more. So what does he do? He asks him one more time, really graciously, and says, hey, if we even touch any of your water, we'll pay you for the water. How do the Edomites respond? Look what they say. Then they said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men, with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. The Edomites rejected the request yet again, this time coming out with force to keep Israel out of their land. And Israel turned away and took another route. The Edomites missed out on God's highest because they were prideful. They rejected an opportunity for restored fellowship with God's people. No doubt gloated when Israel turned away. No doubt thought they had won the battle. When you forsake God's people, you're forsaking God. When you forsake fellowship, 
You're forsaking the Lord. When you don't spend time in his, hanging out with His people, you're missing out on, on, God, on being used by God. You know what? You need to be in church not just so that you can be ministered to, but that you might minister to others. If everybody was an eye, where would be the hearing, right? You have gifts I don't have. You're called to be here and you're not here, then your gift's not being used in our church. We're all called to be here. And God wants to use all of us. And these guys are, are arrogant. They see no need for fellowship. They see no need or for restoration with their brothers. Guess how it ended up for the Edomites? Not too good. Later, King Saul, God uses King Saul who wasn't even... Smoke, they get smoked repeat. Every time you see the Edomites later, what's happening to them? They're getting tore up by Israel. They could have come alongside them. They could have walked with them. And instead, in their arrogance and in their pride, they refuse to enter into fellowship. We too need to pursue that same fellowship. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. That's when we grow in accountability. That's when we use our gifts. Forsake fellowship. You're missing out on God's highest. Lastly, the death of Aaron. Look what happens here. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh to, and came to Mount Or. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because he were rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Again, why isn't he get to go in the land of promise? Because he did what? He rebelled against the word. We rebel against God, God's word and we wonder why we're struggling. We, God's word says something, we do something 180 degrees from it, and we wonder why we've got difficulty in our life. Verse 25. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring him up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. They went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now, what kind of garments would, would he have had on? The priestly garments, right? So the priestly garments were taken off of Aaron and put on Eliezer. And what does this tell us? This tells us that God doesn't need us, we need Him. And it tells us that none of us are irreplaceable in ministry. Who's the only high priest they had known to this point? Aaron. And after 40 years, because of his rebellion, he still was gathered to his people, but it was stripped away and put on his third son, Eliezer, because his first son, Nadab and Abihu, what happened to them? Got smoked because they went, remember, they went into the, the temple when they weren't supposed to, went into the Holy of Holies, burnt strange fire, right? And so Eliezer is the one, because of his obedience, that God then uses instead of Aaron. So it doesn't end because a man dies, because God is still God, amen? And may we remember that. May we not, you know, one of these days, if the Lord tarries, Chuck Smith is going to die, Right? The Lord tarries. He's getting close to 80 years old. God used him mightily, but you know what? Calvary Chapel is not about Chuck Smith. It's about Jesus Christ. Amen? And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your pastor gets hit by a bus next week. Keep having church. Somebody, God will raise somebody up. My dad or somebody will step up here and just keep going. Amen? Because you don't follow a man. You follow the Lord. Aaron blew it. Christ never will. Amen? Men will blow it. Your pastor will blow it. Your, the, your leaders will blow it. People that you know, minister to you will blow it. 
Your husband will blow it. Your wife will blow it. You know, the person that teaches the Bible study in your house, whatever it might be, they may blow it. But God is faithful when man is faithless. And we're not irreplaceable. Now, I love this. I want to say this last thing. He was gathered to his people. You know what? We're all going to be gathered to our people in the end. The only question is, who are your people? Right? You're going to be gathered to your peeps, right? Those people you hang out with, that's you're going to spend eternity with. More, right? I say to people all the time, you want to know what kind of person you are? Look at the people you hang out with. Right? If you're hanging out with a bunch of crackheads, you're a crackhead. <laughs> Amen? Isn't that true? Well, I'm, I'm not. They're all on crack, but I'm not. I just don't, I don't do that, right? No, I'm not. You know, I'll stop, right? Here's the reality. The people you hang out with are the people that you're like. Who do you love spending time with? Who are you inviting over to your house for a barbecue? Right? Now, we reach out, we minister to people that are lost, and we should do that. But who do you find fellowship with? That's who you're like. And we're going to be gathered to those people. And you know who I want to be gathered with? The people in this room. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you guys for the next billions and trillions and trillions of years. Amen? Time is no more. Isn't it going to be great? We better like each other now because we're going to be hanging out with each other for a long time. Amen? Last verse. And it says here, Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days, and this blows my mind. What do they want to do to Aaron pretty much the whole time? They didn't like him. Aaron, Moses, bringing us out here. Now they liked him one time. You know when they liked him? When he made the golden calf. That's when they liked him. The rest of the time. Now, but isn't it interesting that they mourned because they knew Aaron was a representation of intercession before God. And they knew that that, he was the only one they had ever had and now he was gone and it broke their heart. You know who our intercessor is? Who's our great high priest? Jesus Christ. And he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Amen? So in closing, in review, missing out on God's highest. The children missed out, why? Because they murmured and complained, right? Is that why they missed out? They murmured and complained. Why did Moses and Aaron miss out on entering the land of promise? Because they got what? Angry. Children of Israel murmured and complained. Moses Moses and Aaron got angry. The Edomites, why did they miss out? Because they refused to be involved in fellowship, right? And then lastly... Why, what happened with, what can we learn from the death of Aaron? We can learn that all of us are replaceable. And why did Aaron miss out? Because of rebellion. So you want to miss out on God's highest? Here's the four things that we saw tonight. Murmuring and complaining, you'll miss out on God's highest. Be angry and bitter, you'll miss out on God's highest. Lack fellowship in your life, you'll miss out on God's highest. And be in rebellion against what God has called you to do, and you'll miss out on God's highest. You want to know God's highest? Be a man or a woman of fellowship. Be a man or woman of prayer. Don't complain. Rejoice in the midst of trials and seek God's face. Don't lack fellowship, but seek to be around those who love the Lord. Instead of being angry and bitter, rejoice evermore. And don't rebel against God, but seek His face at all times. You won't miss out on God's highest, but He will He'll bless you and He'll use your life in a mighty way. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the example Lord, just of your love and your grace, that even when Moses and Aaron are smoting the rock, that you still poured out your water upon those who who were murmuring against you. We thank you that you are a gracious God. Help us, Lord, to, to not be those who would be angry or bitter, or those who would murmur or complain, or those who would stay away from fellowship or or live lives in rebellion. But may we be men and women who seek your face with our whole heart.
Men or women who in the midst of difficulties and trials, Lord, would, would, would fall before you and cry out, Abba, Father. That, Lord, we would look for others who love you and spend time with them. And that, as, that iron would sharpen iron. That we could be an encouragement to one another. And may we not rebel from your word, but respond to it. Lord, I thank you for each person who's here. Strengthen us in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.